What's going on, everybody? Good to see each and every one of you today. Hope you're doing good. And I want to look into the camera and say a big hello to all those that are watching online right now who might be on a vacation, who are not here with us. We wish we were with you. Come on, Arlen, let them know how much we love them today. And uh, I know that we're kind of wrapping up the summer, so people getting in those last-minute trips and different things. And by the way, I hope you've gotten to take one this summer uh, on some level. Some of you are like, Psh. others of you, you've been gone too much. But uh, <laughs> we're excited you're here. Real quick, let me uh, mention a couple things to you. First of all, first Wednesday is becoming second Wednesday in August. Uh, we're changing it up. So I uh, just want you to know now. Uh, as we get ready for Seek Week, uh, Wednesday, August 9th is the date for First Wednesday. Come hang out with us. It'll be awesome. And that's gearing us up for Seek Week right around the corner, August 20th through the 22nd. Excited. That's a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. I'll prepare you more, but I just want you to save the dates now uh, as we're getting ready. All right. Let me, let me, I have a great message that I want to share with you that I think will really help you today. Uh, I'm very excited about teaching it, but before I do it, let me uh, just share something with you um, that I think is really important. So July is uh, a really important month for us because it starts our fiscal year as an organization. So before I left for our camps, I met with our elders, met with our overseers. Uh, it's actually a very busy time uh, for me personally, for uh, our team. And uh, basically our, our elders approve all of our budgets. They they approve all of our spending. Uh, our overseers approve our salaries. They look at the health of our church and uh, I just want to say this today, that we've never been healthier as a church here in Carrollton than we are right now in every way. And I thank God for that. It's really been amazing. Let me just say this. The last 12 months uh, have just been a miraculous banner year for our church in attendance, in, in new partners that have come along, uh, in, in giving. And I just want to say thank you for just a second, if I can, uh, for your commitment, uh, for, for serving this church, for loving people to life, uh, for your giving. There's so many different ways. And normally I would just say this at the end, but because we're going to kind of do things a little bit different at the end today, I'm trying to say it up front. Uh, people don't realize, let me say this, people don't realize the amount of expense that it takes uh, just to keep this building going uh, every single week. Our elders just approved uh, a couple of weeks ago $170,000 worth of new AC units that have to go in uh, this building. Isn't that crazy? Uh, you're clapping. I was crying uh, when it happened. Just to let you know. It's kind of like when you get new ACs in your house, how do you feel? Like, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, all that. So uh, I realize that doesn't really move the emotional needle until we have 400 volunteers in our building serving on serve day uh, and you need it. But I just want to say that over the next several months, we're going to be investing about $350,000 into our facilities and our online stream and sound equipment and children's spaces and outdoor spaces. And by the way, none of that uh, comes from your legacy giving, uh, from the five lanes of legacy, which you give to each December. Uh, we're giving faithfully to different ministries and doing projects, and obviously you know about all that. Uh, and in addition to that, each June for the last three years, we've made an additional principal payment on our building. Not just a payment, but a big lump sum payment. I think in the last years, uh, I think we've paid over close to $200,000, over $200,000 just in additional payments that we've just been throwing at, at all that stuff. Isn't that great? And currently, we are in strategic research mode right now about our ability to build 
a food distribution warehouse here on site where we're going to extend, reach out to more people in our community, make more impact. So I'm telling you this today just simply to say thank you. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for putting God first. Thank you for loving people. I think everybody's like waiting for like, okay, what are you about to ask? There's no special offering today. I'm not asking for anything. Okay, seriously. I have, I have no agenda other than just to say thank you. You've given. We've tried to be wise stewards, you know, with, with your giving. We live below our means. We budget on less than we bring in. So we're doing everything that we're doing. We're already doing it with money we have. We're paying cash for it, uh, not borrowing. So I praise God for that. Come on, let's celebrate that. Isn't that amazing as a church? So my, my only ask is that you keep getting, putting God first uh, in your life and keep doing what God challenges you to do. So we don't, I, normally at the end, I, I just mentioned we don't pass buckets or we don't receive offerings during services. There are boxes in the hallways if you want to give in person. A lot of people give online. But I just want to say thank you and uh, I'm just excited about where God continues to take us as a church. Amen, everybody? Isn't that awesome? All right. Okay, if you have your Bibles, go to 2 Kings uh, chapter 16. Uh, 2 Kings 16. If you have a glowing Bible, that's good. If you have the handout, uh, you can use that as well. And uh, the handout is just something we give to people. It's also available on our app uh, if you ever want to do it that way. For those of you who are new, you can use the Heartland Church app. Take notes within the app uh, for this section, and then you can email yourself a PDF of that uh, if you want to. And uh, this particular passage of Scripture really influenced me this week uh, and built this message around it. Well, I want to read it to you. I have quite a few scriptures to read, uh, but this is really, I'm going to teach you some things on the front end that hopefully will lead you to an action on the back end. All right, sound good, everybody? So stay with me. This is what it says. Our second Kings chapter 16 says, then King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. Sweetheart, that may be a good name one day. You know, maybe some of you are going to have a child. There you go, Tiglath-Pileser, uh, king of Assyria. He saw an altar in Damascus and sent to Uriah the priest a sketch of the altar with detailed plans for its construction. So, so King Ahaz sees this sketch, detailed plans for its construction, starts to like write it out. So Uriah the priest built an altar in accordance with all the plans that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus, finished it before King Ahaz returned. And when the king came back from Damascus and saw the altar, he approached it and presented offerings on it. King Ahaz then gave these orders to Uriah the priest, said, on the large new altar, offer the morning uh, burnt offering and the evening grain offering. The king's burnt offering and his grain offering and the burnt offering of all the people of the land and their grain offering uh, and, and their drink offering. So all these, all the offerings, okay? Uh, and splash against this altar the blood of all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. But I will use the bronze altar for seeking guidance. And Uriah the priest did just as King Ahaz uh, ordered. King Ahaz then, this is really important, cut off the side panels and removed the basins from the movable stands. He removed the sea from the bronze bulls that supported it and set it on a stone base. He took away the Sabbath canopy that had been built at the temple and removed the royal entryway outside the temple of the Lord in deference to the king of Assyria. And most of you are thinking to yourself, what in the world does any of that mean uh, that you just read? And what does it have to do with me? And I want to talk about this passage of scripture because I'm going to teach you a little bit about what's happening in this. And I think that I've never actually heard a message preached on this, uh, this verse of scripture before. I want to talk about the importance of altars in our lives uh, for a few minutes today. In the story, you learn about King Ahaz. 
this young king that was influenced by an Assyrian king uh, and how he was influenced by the king's altars. Now, usually when we think about an altar, we think about it as a place to meet with God, which is accurate. But in this text, the, the altar is one that is being uh, dedicated to a false god by the evil king of Assyria that Ahaz gets around. And this whole story that I'm, that I'm about to share with you today is about how this Assyrian king influences Ahaz and, and ultimately the direction of the nation because of it. What's really interesting about Ahaz is this is, this is the only time we hear anything about him in Scripture. All we learn from him is his altars. There's, there's literally nothing else written about him, just this little tidbit and the influence of altars on his life. Now, to set up this thought that I'm going to share with you today, it's going to take me a few minutes. It's kind of like, where are you going? You'll be like, okay, now I'm starting to see it once we get into this. So first, what I need to do is I need to teach you a little bit about altars. I need to teach you about what they represent. Uh, first of all, altars are a big deal in the Bible. Um, Altars play a major role in Scripture. There are over 400 different passages that deal directly with, with altars. Uh, altars are often built when, when somebody uh, had like what you could call a significant moment with God. Uh, there, the Bible would say several times, there they would build an altar. And, and God would instruct them on other occasions, build an altar here at this place, okay? And, and so altars... Uh, represent places that people meet with God. Altars represent places that people meet with God. As scripture progresses, what starts to happen is altars become places where, where people would just meet. So it wasn't just a place where like a moment happened, it became a place that people would continually meet. A place where the divine and, and humanity would interact. That's the purpose of an altar. In fact, I'll just say this, that some of the most significant moments of my life have come uh, and had, have been at an altar. Now, some of you in the room may have grown up in church where there was altar calls frequently, or that happened a lot. In fact, let me just kind of see. It was pretty overwhelming uh, in the first service, but how many of you grew up or have been involved at least in some length in a church that would often have altar calls, like at the end of services? Let me see your hands, okay? So a lot of you have experienced it. Some of you never have. Some of you may not really even understand what that phrase means. What is an altar call? An altar call would be at the end of the service, and we say, we want everybody to come down to the altar. And that was kind of this area right, right down here. Uh, and it was a time where people would hear the word, and then they would respond to the word. Now, for whatever reason, a lot of churches don't do this today. They don't have altar calls. I don't want us to be one of those churches. I want us to be a church that has these. Uh, I think they can be very powerful. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very much a proponent of that idea. Uh, I think if you do one every single weekend, it can lose its purpose and, and lose its power. Uh, and it becomes, you know, sort of just too routine. But I absolutely think that there are seasons and there are times where you need to be, I don't know, encouraged, asked, drawn to a time where you, you hear the word and then you respond to the word, uh, to what God is speaking to you. Because what an altar call does is it, it allows people to take a physical step to, to receive the word that they just heard. It actually puts into action what God has just spoken to your heart. And, and so a lot of times when these moments happen, they're... People come and they, they spend time praying, they spend time worshiping, you know, uh, and, and then it also can allow uh, 
sort of like, like intentional moments of, of ministry to take place where people can pray for other people and receive, you know, and I like to say it this way, that the spiritual gifts a lot of times will move and alter uh, opportunities. It's just a time for people to express and pray and, and sort of linger. You know, you've heard me say this before, but a church that lingers is a church that lasts, that you're not jumping up ready to leave as quickly as you can, uh, you're not a church ninja, but you understand the power that comes with responding to God after you hear his word. And there have been times in my life where I have just been incredibly moved uh, because of an experience I had at an altar. I remember I was at a youth camp uh, and I responded to the message, you know, and went to the altar. And I remember I, I laid at the altar, like put my face on the ground and just a big puddle of tears on this concrete floor. And it was there that I felt God speak to me. And I, I spoke to God about ministry and about my life and how I wanted to give my life in ministry to God. I remember when Kendra and I were separated uh, about 15 years ago. Uh, something we talk about a lot around here. But when we went through that period of our life, there were times where I would come up to the church. Kind of had a key uh, so I could get in when no one else could. And, and I wouldn't sit in the back. I wouldn't, I would come right down. It wasn't in this building. It was in a different building. But I would go and I would, I would sit or I would kneel or I would lay at the altar in a, in a big empty room. And I would ask God to do a work in my life. I remember I grew up going to prayer, prayer meetings or prayer services or prayer times. And I, I remember that my dad, uh, when I was little, he would, my dad was a, or it's still, I don't know if he still is. I, I, I'm not with him in these moments all the time, but my dad is a prayer pacer, especially back. He would pace when he prayed. And so he would come down to the altar, this space, and he would grab my hand and he would say, Dusty, come pray with me. And I was six or seven years old. And what I understood that to mean is we were just going to walk back and forth across the front for 45 minutes. And, and I would have his hand and he would, he would pray, God, I pray right now. And he'd be praying for all sorts of different things in the church. And then he'd get down right by this door over here. And then he would, he would turn around. And I remember I would turn around with him. And as a kid, you know, you, you're picking up on things. Sometimes I would drag my foot while he would pray. And I would try to make a line uh, <laughs> with my foot uh, so that I could see it when I came back. And then when we would turn around, I would try to pull him and follow the line. Uh, while these are little things, you know, you're just doing as a kid, but you get around that, you get around an atmosphere of being in an altar and praying. And now today, when I pray, I do the same thing my dad would do. Now in prayer services, you'll see me. And it's just, it's, I just like to walk and pray. And sometimes I'll get my daughters, you know, and I see them with their feet. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> because the power of the altar has just made such an impact on my life. I just can't get away from it. I could take you to the place on Friday nights at 11 p.m. where we would leave after football games or we would leave after basketball games. There's a small group of us and we would pray. We would go into our, it was a chapel at the time and we would pray. And there was a little altar, a little area that I had made that I would, I would kneel at. I would sit and I would cry and I would ask God, you know, help me move in my school and help me to, you know, change my school and help me to change, you know, my friends and, and uh, just God help me with my dad. He's, no, I'm just kidding. Um, because oftentimes, physical places are representations of major moments that we've had in our relationship with God. But at the same time, altars can exist anywhere. And this is really important. I know people who have built altars in their homes, who have, have prayer closets. I know one person that they, they really have a prayer closet because it is a closet that they go in to pray. 
I have other friends who, it's just places. Some of you, there's a specific place in your house, typically that you kneel at or you sit at when you pray. That place, in my opinion, represents, it's an altar to you. It's a place, the truth is you can have an altar anywhere. You don't have to be in church to have an altar. You can have one in your home. You can have one in your car. It's not specific to a physical structure. Any place where you've encountered God or you desire to encounter him can be a great way uh, or uh, can be a great place to have an altar. And, and so an altar then becomes the place where we lay ourselves down before God. In, in the Old Testament, the altar was the place where you laid down your sin before God and you would repent. Well, today, you know, we, we still do that. We don't do it the same way they did it in the Old Testament because it doesn't make us saved or in good standing. In our relationship, Jesus causes us to have good standing with the Father today. So what do we do at the altar? Well, we still lay things down. We lay down our pride. And we lay down our desires and we lay down our thoughts and our opinions and our hurts, our heartbreaks, and it's there, what do we do? We pick up God's will. We, we lay something down, we pick something up. We pick up God's purpose. We pick up God's word. We pick up God's plan. We, we leave, the idea is that when you come to the altar, you should leave different. An altar is any place that you say, Lord, less of me, more of you. I just, I just need to check myself, or I just want to spend time with you. I shrink myself. I make myself low. I make myself small. I make God big. His plan's bigger. His purpose is bigger. His thought's bigger in my life. And so ultimately, altars are the place we lay down before God, but they're also the place where we offer ourselves, and the Bible talks about this as living sacrifices. So an altar is the place where I'm transformed. An altar is the place where if you'll let it, where the old will die and, and the new is beginning to be built. It's a place where we say, God, build my life. Make me more like you. L let me say it this way. My family right now is a reflection of the altars in my life. My marriage is a reflection of the altars in my life. My ministry, the direction, the purpose of my life is influenced by the altars in my life. Hebrews 13, 10 says this, we have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. I could teach on this verse for a while, but I'll just summarize it, you know, for the sake of time to say, to say this, that because of Jesus, the cross becomes an altar in our life. Now, we don't have the physical cross of Jesus so it's the expression of the cross. The, the cross becomes the place where we lay ourselves down to die so that we can really live. The word altar in the Hebrew means to slaughter. That's what they would do. They would slaughter an animal on the altar. In the New Testament, the word means to sacrifice. In Romans 12, consequently, the Bible says that we're to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. I'll show you this verse in just a second. So in the Old Testament... Here's what some people would do. They were required to bring an animal to sacrifice for their sin. Well, people started trying to bring, you know, loopholes. Well, I'll bring an animal, but it'll be a maimed one or a lame one or one with a physical defect. And God would reject that. He would say, no, no, when you come, you don't bring me your leftovers. You don't bring me your maimed animals. You bring me the best one. Here Paul is teaching us in Scripture when he says, bring yourselves as a living sacrifice. He says, don't bring half of you. Don't bring a piece of you, but, but present yourselves fully to God. This is a sacrifice that God wants. The problem with the living sacrifices, though, is, 
It can crawl off the altar if it wants to. And so we have to make ourselves go back to the altar all the time. Because sometimes we forget who bought us with the price. We forget whose we are. So that is an altar. It's the place that we meet with God. It's, a, it's the place of exchange. It's the place of dying to self. It's, it's the place of commitment. Uh, Hebrews 13, there's the verse. It says, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. So every day, we're sacrificing ourselves, our will, our ambition. If you can just get your head around this imagery for just a second, that, that when you come into church or when you come to an altar, the sacrifice of our, of our worship is our commitment to Jesus. And, and we're offering ourselves every single day or in moments in worship or in, day, in days like this. That, that's why sometimes we'll invite you down to the altar and some of you don't know what to do. You're like, what do I do now that I'm here? I'm at the altar. Well, you worship at the altar. You pray at the altar. You seek God. You ask God to make him more like you. Whatever it is that you feel like is, you've built up in your life that's moving you away from him, you ask God, remove these things. Make me more like you. So you say, well, can I do that from my seat? Do I have to? No, of course you can do it from your seat. But it's the physical expression. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because a physical expression of an inward thing. And what you see so many times in Scripture is this idea. Like, let's, let's create habits. Of, let's not just keep it internal, but let's, let's put a physical expression on it. That's what you do with baptism. You going under the water does not have any magical power, but it is symbolic of a decision that you're making to give your life to Jesus, to let everyone know, I follow Jesus. And when you go down into the water, the old man is buried and out comes the new man. And then the new man comes to the altar of God on a habitual level and says, God, form me, make me how you want me to be. So really... Any altar in our lives is to be a place of worship. Any altar in our lives, a place of reverence and praise and, and not just singing slow songs, but bringing our greatest desires and needs to God. Is this making sense to everybody today? I'm just trying to teach this to you before we jump in. Okay, so when we read the story then in scripture, it's about how an old king and his altars are influencing a younger king. So when the Bible introduces Ahaz, it introduces him as a 20-year-old man who, who's become king. And he really was not like his ancestral father, David. He, he does evil in the sight of God. He, he leads the nation of Judah away from God. And part of the reason that he ends up doing this is because he's influenced by this Assyrian king. Now, he's in, two, he's in a battle with two different nations at this particular time, and he's holding them off for a little while, but he eventually starts to struggle and he can't do it anymore and so he needs help. So he reaches out to this neighbor in Assyria, you know, can you help us with this battle? And the king of Assyria brings his troops, comes to the aid, pushes out the enemy and Judah is saved because of this Assyrian king. And so as a way to say thank you for helping protect the nation of Judah, Ahaz goes to Damascus and there he expresses gratitude to this king. And, and I'm sure you have to think about this for just a second. Like, what would you do as a 20-year-old king? 
You know, you're with another king who's got some influence, who's got some time. Well, you would start to ask questions and think about all the things that they would do. He's got a list of things we're going to talk about, things I'm going to learn. Maybe he wants some advice from the old king. You know, some battles. You know, give me some wisdom on the battlefield. Give me some wisdom on how to gain favor with troops. And maybe he's wanting to learn about battle tactics or combat advice or he wants to talk about past conquests or whatever. We don't know for sure, but at his own expense, he travels, he goes down to this land, and he meets with this king. And you have to think about what do kings do whenever they meet. He's taking him around. He's visiting his kingdom. You know, this is this area, and this is this area. And, and, and they're talking, and he's learning about the qualities, learning about everything. But when he gets there, things take a turn when he goes into the old king's temple. And when he walks into the old king's temple, and he says, this is my temple, and this is the altar. And he sees the altar. It's an altar to an to a idol god. But he sees the altar and he's like, wow, that's amazing. It catches his attention. It's so influential that he takes out pieces of paper and he starts to sketch. This is, can I just take some notes? Hold on, I know you gotta take me somewhere else, but I, this altar is impressive. And he starts to write the dimensions and the designs and the details in this sketch. He's not sketching the throne He's not sketching the city. He's not sketching how the troops are trained. He's sketching the altar. And he's so focused on it that he sends back the sketch. He says, take this piece of paper, send it back to my, my lead priest. Take it to the priest and tell him to build an exact replica of this altar to a foreign false god. And he instructs the priest. He says to him, move, move the altar that's been there. Move it. Move Move the, the altar that's dedicated to the one true God in Solomon's temple. Move it to this, this false God. By the way, that altar Moses had commanded the Israelites to build years and years and years and generations previously. And now here comes this new altar that's being moved in. And the original altar is being pushed to the side. And he doesn't stop there. To impress the king of, of Assyria, he starts to tear apart pieces of the altar that Moses had instructed. He cuts off temple furnishings from the pieces. And now he's even moving some of those things out of the temple. He's readjusting the front of the courtyard. And later on, he, later on, he ends up placing altars all over street corners of Jerusalem, worshiping false gods. Nothing else gets said about King Ahaz except how these altars of this evil Assyrian god or king and his god had influenced his life. Now, I say all of that to say this. I want you to think about your own life for a moment. And I want you to think about how altars influence us. Because the truth is this, not every altar is a positive one. Many of you are like, well, I would never do something like that. I would never build an altar like King Ahaz did. And what I would simply say to you is this. Yes, you would. See, if something becomes important enough to you, if something becomes valuable enough to you, if something starts to move the needle of your heart, have you ever heard the phrase, he sacrificed his family on the altar of, the altar of money, the altar of dreams, the altar of popularity, the altar of work, the altar of fame, 
the altar of busyness. The truth is this, the altars in our lives create a pathway for everything else to happen. During World War II, there was a proverb that hung on the wall of an Anglo-American supply headquarters. It was a proverb that Benjamin Franklin had included in Poor Richard's Almanac in 1758. And this is, this is the first time I heard about this was this week, and I, I, was, I was taking a look at this and thought this was so interesting as I was researching. This is what it says. For the one of a nail, the shoe was lost. This is how the proverb goes. That was in Poor Richard's Almanac. For the one of a nail, the shoe was lost. And because the shoe was lost, I'm paraphrasing it in our, kind of our wording today. Because the shoe was lost, a horse was lost. Because the horse was lost, the rider was lost. Because the rider was lost, the battle was lost. Because the battle was lost, the kingdom was lost. All of it was lost because of the want of a nail. And then the proverb goes on to say this, that a little neglect may breed a great mischief. The point is this, if the little things aren't managed well in your life, it can actually lead to where the greater things are sacrificed that never were meant to be intended to be sacrificed. See, here's what I'm proposing to you today. I think the nails in our lives are like the altars in our lives. I think it's a little thing, but I think it has such a big impact. Some people ask this question, how do I win the wars of my life? How do I win the battles that I'm facing right now? I'm here to tell you today that wars are won at the altars of our lives. So important. Come on and clap your hands and thank God for that today. So there's, there's the story. Like you start to see this idea in scripture. When you kind of understand this, you start seeing it played out all over the place. It's, it's like impossible to, to miss at times. And yet you're like, how did I miss this all along? Like the story in 1 Kings uh, 19 of Elijah. Remember, he's going to battle, so to speak, up against these prophets. There's this huge showdown where the goal is which God is going to bring fire down from heaven. And so, as you know, the prophets of Baal get around and they all dance around this fire. They're screaming and going crazy, asking for Baal to send fire down from heaven. Of course, it doesn't because it's a false god. Nothing happens. And now it's Elijah's turn. And as you know, fire is going to be called down from heaven. It's going to consume the altar even after water has been poured. But there's this little detail that you almost miss if you're not careful in the story. I actually never saw this until this week when I was just studying altars. First Kings 19 says this, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. And this was before anything else happened. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. So he's like, it's time. It's time for God to bring some fire down from heaven. What's the first thing we need to do? We gotta repair the altars in our life. The prophet understood that the way back for Israel to become victorious and to be a leading nation and for God to bless them, I've got to repair the altars. I've got to repair the altars in my life. And I'm here to tell you today, some of you in this room, it's like you're in a situation, you're facing circumstances, you're overwhelmed. How do I start to win again in my spiritual life? How do I defeat the giants that I'm facing right now? You've got to get back to a point where you're repairing the altars before God. You've got to get back to the altars you got to get back to them, everybody. So let me just give you three quick takeaways, and then we're going to pray. And I think, I think these are so important for you. Number one, you have to understand this, that altars can lose influence if we allow them. Your altars that you've built to God 
can lose their power, their impact, if you allow them. I can almost guarantee you right now that if you're close to the Father, there's an altar set up somewhere in your life. Likewise, if you're distant from God right now, it's possibly because you've been distancing yourself from an altar. I want you to consider this for just a second. Years had passed since Moses had given the instruction, and now David has become king of Judah. And remember, he gave all these instructions. And now King Ahaz is alive, and he is, David is his ancestral father, okay? I think, I think 270 years had, had existed where the altar had been passed down, okay? So it was first in the tabernacle, now it's in the temple. When it gets to Solomon, it's in Solomon's temple, right? And so you have to think about this for just a second. New king, he dies. New king comes, he dies. New king comes, he dies. I think if, if my math is right on all this, I think Ahaz is the 12th king following Solomon. 238 years have passed. So every king has had this temple or this experience or dealing with this altar in some way. But King Ahaz is 20 years old. And for whatever reason, he's not influenced by the altar the way that Solomon and David was. In fact, he's lost respect of it altogether. And it actually is not having any influence on his life. There's this verse in Matthew 5. Jesus is talking and says this, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. By the way, some of you probably noticed like there are different times where we say bring your gift to the altar. You know, I don't know if anybody, like bring your tithe or bring your, you know, bring your gift for legacy. We may say lay it at the altar today. This is where that idea comes from. It's actually sort of a biblical idea. Like Jesus talked about this. People would come and lay their gifts at the altar. But here what Jesus is showing us is that the altars that we build and that we go to in our lives should actually have impact on other parts of our lives. Meaning this, that the altar should be a place of reflection. The altar should be a place of realization. That, that when you come to the altar, the offenses, the impurities that need to change should come. And, and the scripture is so profound here where Jesus is talking. He says, listen, leave the altar. Go, go make that right because the altar is affecting you. Go and, do, and then come back to the altar again. So the purpose, please listen to this. The, alt, the, the purpose of the altar is not just to connect with God but to allow God to speak to us about the places in our life that we need to change. And that by connecting with God, we are convicted about how we're living and what we're doing. In fact, let me just say this to you today. It's, it's almost a warning. Don't let anything cause you to forget the value of the altar in your life. Don't let time, don't, don't let success cause you to forget. I, I cannot emphasize enough how I've seen a correlation in my life to the altars and the health of my soul. Like, my spirit's saying more time at the altar, more time with God, more time in his presence. Dusty, you need him right now. My flesh is saying, take a break, relax, take your foot off the pedal, focus on more of you right now. And, and I could show you times in my life that when I'm embracing the altar, my ministry is stronger, my marriage is healthier, 
My mind is clearer. I can hear God easier. But when I'm forgetting my altars or when I'm not putting them as priorities in my life, my ministry is weaker. My marriage is weaker. My mind is foggier. I can't seem to hear God. I'm just here to tell you today, do not let your heart grow apathetic to the things of God. Get close to the altar and let him renew you. Again, here's the second thing I want you to note. I'm gonna hit this one really quickly so we can get to this third one so it can actually produce the action that we wanna get to today. The second one is this, that you better be careful because someone else's altars can influence your own. And we'll talk more about this in a minute with this third one. But as I read this story, I cannot get past the audacity of King Ahaz. I can't get past it. Who, knowing his legacy, knowing the victories of his nation, knowing the forefathers, knowing the successes and the failures of the people who, the kings who'd gone before him who put God first and the ones who didn't put God first, has this moment where he removes the most significant altar and the most significant temple in the world. How do you do that? But the truth is this, Ahaz didn't just wake up and say, today I'm just gonna forsake my altars. What happens? He starts to let the influence of somebody else affect the view of his own life. So you gotta remember, Ahaz was in a young place. He was impressionable. And he became influenced by the king of Assyria. I just wanna ask you this question today. Whose altar is influencing you? Who in your world right now are you enamored by? Who are you listening to? What are you observing? What are you filling your mind and your life with right now? Because as time goes on, the more you let that influence you, the more you will start to come to that altar in your life. You have to understand, of course, today, God's spirit doesn't reside in a temple. The Bible says that we are, our bodies are now temples of the living God. So, so we don't have animals that we lay down at the altar. We now lay down our hearts on the altar. So we bring our lives. We lay them down before King Jesus. But I want you to remember this, that when the world moved into Solomon's temple, the altar moved out. You let, I know this sounds cliche, but you let too much of the world into your heart, you'll start moving away from the altars that God designed for you to be at. Now all of a sudden worship becomes motions. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, well, man, I'll tithe if I have a little bit extra. I'll give, you know, God a tip. Bible reading is now something that I do when when I need to get inspired. Prayer is now something that I do whenever I have a need. Serving is something I do whenever it's convenient. And all of a sudden, a shift starts to happen in your life. And one day, you walk into a church service, or you wake up to have a time with God, And God feels far and distant. And you feel like, man, everybody else is having an encounter with God. Feels like service is so powerful for everybody else. Why is it not influencing me? It must be the church. But God is far and God is distant. And if you're really honest and you looked around, your altar has cobwebs on it. And it's not been visited for some time. Or even worse, you've moved it out of the room altogether. One of the most interesting things that I think about this particular verse, I saw this, I could not get away from this. It's found in a very small descriptive word in the text. So it says this, the Bible says 
that in deference to the king of Assyria, he also removed the canopy. In other words, here's what he did. Let me, let me make sure you understand this. Deference means respectful regard or yielding to someone else's judgment. So I want you to think about this. He said, what do you think my, my, my altar should look like? Hey, do you think I should get rid of the can- canopy? Oh, Moses, I know you don't know anything about him. Moses told me to put it up. You know, it's, it was one of the instructions that he gave. But what do you think? I mean, I respect you. What do you, and all of a sudden, King Ahaz has stopped yielding himself to God's opinion and has started yielding himself to the evil king's opinion. I'm here to tell you today that so many Christians have stopped yielding to God's word. They started politely deferring. Well, what do you think about marriage? What do you think it should look like? What do you think? The ch- what do you, you think the church is old-fashioned? You think you, my beliefs are too rigid? You think the God of my Bible is, is a little too harsh? Oh, you think it's not true? Well, what, what do you think? I defer to you. And all of a sudden, you start taking altars away from your life that God never intended you because you're just simply deferring to somebody else. And when that happens, you're going to have to decide, everybody, somewhere along the way, am I going to defer to others or am I going to defer to the conviction of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to defer to somebody, but who's it going to be? Can I just tell you as a pastor, one of the greatest temptations that I have is to be deferred by what you think. Well, did you like that message? And and all of a sudden, I can start turning my ears towards you instead of turning my ears towards heaven. And can I tell you, if I'm facing it, you're facing it too. You're facing it in your workplace. You're facing it with your family. Every single day of your life, you're dealing with the temptation to defer to somebody else's judgment about what your altars in your life should look like. Matthew 10 says this. It says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It's not a verse we like to preach in church, but I'm gonna tell you that we need a holy reverence and a holy fear to come back to our hearts about the way that we treat the things of God, everybody. So whose altar is influencing you? By the way, I wanna very sensitively say this, that sometimes the altars in our lives are things we want so badly. And they're not bad things. Some of us in this room have dreams, things we're praying for, things we're believing God for, business ideas, relationships, marriages, children. I mean, you think about the list of things. And none of those things are bad, none of them. But what I just want to tell, what I want to encourage you today is if you're disappointed, frustrated, discouraged in your life right now, realize I'm not going to let this thing be the altar of my life. I'm not going to bow at these things. I got to remember that this, Jesus is where I bow. And then he gives me direction on these things. But I'm not going to bow at these things. Here's the third one. I'm, I'm closing. I want our team to come today. The third one is this, that if we stop visiting our altars, we'll start building new ones. So in the story, King Ahaz didn't build, obviously wasn't visiting his altar. 
Because of that, he started building new ones instead. He takes the altar God gives him, puts it into a back closet and starts replacing it with an altar that he had learned from the king of Assyria that wanted nothing to do with the one true God. And and I believe this, that it probably didn't happen overnight in King Ahaz's life. But slowly his mindset started changing as he spent less and less time with God. A little too much focus over here. A little too much focus over there. Too busy here. Too busy there. In fact, let me just say it this way. What areas of your life have become so big that you've been tempted to relegate the altar of God into another room? For some of us, success has become our greatest enemy. Because in our success, we're spending less and less time at the altar that God has asked to put into our life. Nothing wrong with success. Nothing wrong, like I said a moment ago, nothing wrong with making money. But if that becomes the thing you worship, you've traded altars. Let me, let me just ask this one. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable. I'm sorry. What about the altar of compromise? Compromise comes when your willingness to sacrifice dwindles. And God spoke to you about an altar, at an altar about some things in your life, and now you don't want to go to the altar because you don't want to do those things anymore. God's altar will require sacrifice, but we don't want to make it, so we stop visiting it. But remember, the altar is a place where you lay down your thoughts. You lay down your opinions. You lay down your needs. You lay down your time. But you can quickly start trading altars. And now it's my opinions and my thoughts and my wants and my dreams, what I want. There's a scripture that I studied this week when I was looking at altars. This one in particular really spoke to me. It may not speak to you the same way, but it really spoke to me. Some of you, I think it will. This is in Matthew 23. It says this, For which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? And I started thinking about this when I read this. In fact, man, it, it, it hit me. See, we have a tendency to focus on our gifts and our talents and our opportunities. And God's reminding us, reminding me at least, it's not your gift that opens doors. It's my anointing that opens doors. So I just want to tell somebody today, you think you're so gifted, you think you've got a gift, bring your gift back to the altar. Bring your dreams back to the altar. Let God get his hands on your dreams again. Let God get his hands on your gifts again. Said another way, man doesn't make the altar. The truth is that the altar makes the man. The gift doesn't make the altar. The altar makes the gift. So you have to decide, God, every gift I have, I give it back to you. We do this on Sunday mornings. Our whole team that's up here that leads and sings and production, I I try to do this almost every week where I say, God, all the gifts that you've given us, we lay them down today. And we just remind ourselves and we declare to you that it's not about us, this is all about you. Why? Because if you're not careful and you have a stage gift, all of a sudden you can think, man, I did real good. And, and logos and egos start to appear in places that they were never intended to be. Let me say it this way, that, that if we don't let altars change us, then eventually we start to change our altars. That's what King Ahaz did. The Bible tells us he removed the basins. He removed the sea from the bronze bulls. He removed the Sabbath canopy. He removed the royal entryway. And what you start to see when you're studying this is all throughout the Bible now, God, like like you start to see this, that the enemy attacks altars. 
all throughout the Bible, the enemies attacked them. In the Old Testament, one king would, would put the altar, and then here come the next king. I can't take it out. And then here come the good king, come back in, put it in. And then here come the bad king, the next, and just, it's like over and over and over again. And what I'm sitting here thinking to myself is these kings are like a mirror of our lives. Where every day, if you're not careful, I'm going to bring it in. No, I'm going to church today. God, I'm giving my life to you today. Up, oh, going back out. Nope, going to the world. Here we go. Come on, taking that out of here. Here we go. Nope, nope, God, I love you again. I'm coming back into church. I'm just, I'm here to work. Nope, I can't. And I'm just telling you, like, stop that. Get back into a place where you consistently make God the Lord of your life every single day. Even in the book of Ezra, they're going to rebuild the temple. The Bible says before they rebuild one brick, they rebuilt the altar. I think that's a word for somebody in this room today. You're focused on your house. You're focused on, you know, your finances. You're focused on your kids. You're focused on your marriage, your dreams. You're you're coming into church. You know what you're saying? You're saying, God, how, how can you touch these dreams? And here's what God's saying. God's saying, lay those things down. Get back to a place where you rebuild what's most important. What's most important is not your dreams or your kids or your marriage or your future or your money. What's most important is the altars that you have in your life. If you want the city to to, to thrive, you got to rebuild what's most important to God. And in the same way, let me tell you what's going to happen. The enemy won't start with your money. He won't start with your family. He'll start here. And he'll try to take away the thing that matters most. Here's the good news, is that if you've lost your altar, you can rebuild it. If you've distanced yourself from the altar, you can renew it. Give God today a sacrifice of praise, of worship. It's an altar that you build in your life. Listen to me, your prayer time can be an altar. Your quiet time can be an altar. Time spent at the actual altar can be an altar. Gathering together in church services like this can reinforce the altars in your life. Is this making sense to you today? So here's what I want to do. I I actually want to close. I was talking to the team, and they knew that I I said, I'm going to close really differently. And they said, do you want to do like a big altar call? And I kind of knew what they meant with that. Do you want to play like a big song? And are you going to really minister? And I said, "I'm, I'm actually not. I said, I actually just want to, without a lot of fanfare and without a lot of, a lot of hype, if you want to call it that, I said, I almost, I almost with this message today want to teach and I want it to emotionally move no one. Because this idea of altars is not an emotional decision. It's a devotional decision. Now, can you experience emotion at the altar? Of course, but don't make the mistake of thinking that it's a place where you're always emotionally moved. It's a place where your mind is changed every single day of your life. So I want you to stand with me today all over the room. And here's what I, here's what I feel like we should do for a few minutes today, if you're willing. And I want to encourage you today to to stay for a few minutes. So here's the deal. We're going we're going to formally make a dismissal here in just a moment. Like this will be your formal dismissal. It'll be different because it's not me, you know, saying, "Have a great day. God bless you guys." But what am I going to do? We're just going to open up the altar today. Remember, the altar can be 
a place where you kneel, a place where you stand, a place where you worship. And I think what I'm asking you to do is, is create a physical expression for what God is doing in your heart right now. And just, we're going to play some worship music. Our team's just going to sing. I just want to give some space between you and the Holy Spirit right now for him to speak to your heart. You can sit where you're at. You can kneel. You can walk around. You can pace around like I was talking about earlier. But almost I just want to turn this into a prayer room for a few minutes. Does that like make sense to you? I, and, and why am I doing this? Because I want to give you some space to just respond to altars. And then tomorrow, when you wake up, I'm asking you to rebuild an altar in your life again. Just as I was praying about leading up to Seek Week here in a few weeks and just this idea of what brings power into our lives. What, I, it's like the Lord just reminded me all over again. When people build altars, when they just do the simple things, my power comes. Oh, it doesn't have to be somebody laying their hands on me and zap and having this big, you know, those are powerful moments and we need those moments in our lives. But if we just rely on those moments, those moments are far and few between the daily moments where God speaks to us every single day. Father, I pray right now that you move in our church. God, do not let our church be a church of hype, a church of emotionalism, but Lord, let us be driven by our devotion and adoration for you. God, break our heart for what breaks yours. Bring us back to a place where the power of God can get on the inside of us and transform us not because someone laid a hand on us, not because somebody told us to do something, but because we heard the voice of the Holy Spirit moving and beckoning us and calling us. So I pray, Holy Spirit, move in this place. I ask, Holy Spirit, do a work in the heart of every person here. Lord, I pray right now that your spirit would manifest and strengthen and just, Lord, just begin to show yourself in this room. Let, let worshipers arise, God. Don't let us have a spectator spirit, but help us come back like we did the very first time that we kneeled before you and we gave ourselves to you. Let us do it all over again, every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you, Heartland, with all my heart. So we're just going to open up the altar. Some of you need to come today. You need to step out from where you're at. You need to come. Some of you just need to kneel. You need to sit, whatever it looks like for you. And then whenever you're ready to be dismissed, I'll leave that com completely up to you. But our team will just worship. Come on, guys. Let's lead them, and let's spend some time with Jesus today. Hallelujah. This world could never satisfy the longing in my soul When all is lost and hope is dry When all I feel is cold I'm coming back to your presence I'm coming back to your presence Cause there's a hunger and a thirst
Let us become 